Love podcasts? You'll love Podcast Magazine, taking readers into the lives of today's leading podcasters and beyond the microphone of the shows fans love. Each month, Podcast Magazine's dedicated writers share personal interviews, industry happenings, exclusive categorical charts, and independent ratings and reviews of under-the-radar shows. If you listen to podcasts, subscribe now at podcastmagazine.com and grab a free lifetime subscription while you can. That's podcastmagazine.com. On today's episode of Reinvention Radio. Through most of my consulting career, it has been um, executives. And, and executives in, around the world are heavily skewed toward being men. And uh, I guess about four years ago, Steve, I, I decided that I looked around and I thought, you know, why is this so out of whack? This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. So I just want to Welcome you to a very special town hall episode of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Goulet. Say hello again. It's been Hi. Hey, how are you? And Richie Ote, what is up, my brother? How you doing there, sir? Doing well, doing well. Good. And you guys are welcome to join us here uh, on the video. We'd love to have you. Um, you've got the link there on the Facebook Live uh, as well. And, and we'll see if we do this type of town hall reinvention radio episode. Uh, again, please make sure that you share this with, uh, with your communities. Our goal here is to really help folks through this, through, through this challenging time. And, uh, and so if you have resources, feel free to share it there uh, in the link, uh, in, you know, in the feed there in the chat. Uh, specifically on Facebook Live uh, is where you should do that, which would be awesome. Uh, we're fortunate to be joined today by Annette Comer. So Annette, go ahead and unmute yourself. And we're, we're doing it a little bit differently. Typically, we t- just bring on one guest and then we, you know, we, we do our show and you know, we have some chats and this, that, and the other. Uh, but Annette, I thought it would be an interesting opportunity uh, to open this up to the community uh, as well, especially with the work that that you were doing, and and you know, speaking of having to reinvent your life and and move in uh, in a completely different direction, which I know a lot of people uh, are facing here in this particular moment, and and most of them are being forced into uh, a world of of reinvention. You actually were kind of forced into reinventing your life, right? And that I mean, you had a pretty good corporate career thing going. Um, and then you got forced into uh, your own personal reinvention. Can you speak to that for a minute? I, I sure can, Steve. I appreciate. It. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, you know, I was um, I was on the fast track in leadership uh, in a corporate career. Had been on that track for 19 years. Um, highest paid woman in the company. Uh, it was a large corporation, and um, was the only woman in many meetings, which was okay because I, I was, had an engineering degree and didn't really expect to see a lot of women like me in the meetings. But um, what forced me to reinvent was um, I had one of my employees bring a loaded gun into the workplace and um, it, everything changed. The, uh, the, the male managers handled it very poorly. Uh, I was devastated and, uh, and ended up walking away from a, a career that I loved. 
and then went into the entrepreneur space, which I'd already been dabbling in while I was in my corporate job. But obviously now it became um, where I was going to live for the next couple of decades and to reinvent myself in that way. Mm -hmm. so I've reinvented mm -hmm. it several times, but yes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what, so what are you doing now then? I mean, you were kind of forced into. Yeah. So, so when I, so yep. So when I left corporate, I had, uh, I had a, a retail storefront on the side that I had started while I was in corporate, but obviously that wasn't going to replace the income that I had, uh, when I walked out of this, um, six figure job. So I moved into an international consulting business and I, uh, did speaking all over the world and started working with executives around the world uh, on helping them. What I was at the time was doing in corporate, which was um, doing a lot of research and taking products, new products to market. And then as it evolved over the years, again, you know, I reinvented that and ended up moving into that into different parts of the world with that company. Um, and then as the years went by, I, added some, new, some more new inventions and, and started building a passive income stream with some real estate companies um, that I created. So never went back to corporate, which is interesting because I yeah. could have so easily have done that. But um, yeah, so just talk about the, because the, you work specifically with women now, right? I mean, more, I know you do other things, but you've got your... <laughs> In like any true entrepreneur, you've got a few things going on, but, but specifically to how you're really helping to empower women and you've created that community for women and, and so on, because I think there's a lot of, a lot of folks out there right now who could really use the benefits of, uh, of your teachings and your expertise as they find themselves in this, in this quagmire of, of what do I do next? What I do next. Yeah. And there's a lot of that right now. Well, the, um, so through, through most of my consulting career, it has been um, executives and, and executives in, around the world are heavily skewed toward being men. And uh, I guess about four years ago, Steve, I, I decided that I looked around and I thought, you know, why is this so out of whack? Um, and, and started holding some, some workshops, uh, exploring, researching, understanding what was the problem, and also recognized that we were entering into a new era where women could become in best position to become the leaders of tomorrow. Uh, the new business model was shifting in the world. And what I mean by that is that now integrity, authenticity, and relationships are becoming more important. And that's a very different business model than we had 10 years ago. And mm -hmm. the good news is that women have been doing that for 60 years, so that they're well positioned for that. So I have created something called the World's Greatest Women Academy, which basically takes women, professional women particularly, and teaches them how to be savvy business leaders who can enter into the business world and lead from a place of knowledge, skills, and strength. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, and obviously, I don't want to. <laughs> and obviously, I don't want to dominate. But Mary, I mean, like, how does that how does that land for you specifically, Mary? I mean, obviously, Rich and I could talk about it from our perspectives. <laughs> that land specifically for you, just given kind of where we're at with everything, and and just all the you know all the uncertainty and fear and everything else that's kind of going on and so prevalent right now. Well, coming up of what Annette was saying that she's doing, I think it's super important that women start to recognize their inherent gifts 
like you mentioned, the authenticity, the energy, and the intention that we have. There was a study done way back by, I think it was UCSD, about what do women want in services, especially because we were doing a mom's town survey. So the MBA class did it on us. They didn't want tips, tools, strategies, techniques. They wanted inspiration and motivation. And if we are getting that, women find their tribe and encourage one another, we're talented and gifted and smart and experienced in our unique way, we're going to make our way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, I think you're exactly right, Mary. And, and the interesting, oh, see, I'll give you a good, the, the, the thing that I'll add to that, Mary, is um, I have found that, that there is another component that's needed, especially for women to get into positions of power where they can change the rules and make the decisions. Um, and, and the interesting thing is that if I, when I looked at this, you know, and you already know this, Mary, you know, women have more education, they're willing to work more hours, uh, they, they are uh, very driven, you know, they want all these things, but somehow they're still only on 5%, less than 5% of the power positions in our country. So you say, what the hell's wrong with that? And, and that's where my research dug in. And when I dug into that, I was shocked to find that what was happening, it wasn't that we weren't empowering them and all these, they, they, they didn't have this, they didn't know the rules of game and they didn't have the skills to play it. And once I, what I found out through the academy is that when you take these kind of women and you show them how the rules are and show them the skills they need to play these rules, get out of their way because they are going to win like you can't believe. But it's the kind of thing when you're in the dark, you're stumbling around and you're making mistakes and you don't, you know. And so, um, and I was really excited to see the results that some of these women had because, you know, you try things, you do all the research, the data shows it, but yet, does, is it real? Is it in real life? Does it really transform women or do they get all revved up and that's it? But it, what I saw was this, this exponential confidence that, that showed up that when they knew how the game was played and they knew what the rules were and they knew how to move and groove themselves within that container, they were able to bust out, mm -hmm. which so is really what, encouraging. Yes. Yeah. So what, what, what are the, um, I mean, let, let's be honest here. I think that the rules of the game have changed quite dramatically for all of us in the last however many <laughs> weeks here, and they're going to continue to change. So, and Rich, please chime in on this as well, because I know you bring in, you know, a very unique perspective from, from, an, online, from an online world. But how do, you, how do you guys see the rules of the game changing then, especially for women? Uh, Annette and then, and then Rich, just, you know, if you had suggestions for, for how women might just kind of navigate this new, this new normal, if you will, here for a while. Uh, I'm curious what, and Mary, of course, too, what, what, what are your takes around that? Are you, are you looking for my input or for their input? You can start with Annette. Yeah, Annette, please start with, and, and uh, we can go to Richard. Um, and Mary. Well, I think there's, there's going to have to be a, a shift in the way women have behaved in the past. Um, you know, one of the things that we hear around a lot is the word uh, empowerment. And, and empowerment, if you aren't careful, can be a disabilitating aspect because it almost creates the phenomena that women are waiting for permission 
for something. And, and women don't need permission to lead. They have, you know, women that are meant to lead have all they need to lead. They just need to know the, the underlying current that they're playing against so they can move and groove just like any other business entity. Um, that, you know, the, and, and so some of the rules, for example, I'll give you a perfect example of a rule. You know, um, if you talk about the role of communication, you know, for, for women to play in the business world and in you know, a leadership role and talk to men and women the same way, it's a total disaster. Uh, men will, women connect, communicate for connection, men communicate for information. Mm -hmm. and, and men have been able to dominate that space because they're in most of the leadership positions. And, and so women have to learn how to communicate so that men recognize their, what they're bringing to the table and hear them. Mm -hmm. Rich, yeah, Rich, what, what, what's your take on this, especially just given everything that's going on with, uh, with, with the shift online and, and whatnot? What, is there something in particular women need to be thinking about uh, differently than, than men, perhaps? Well, <clears throat> first, I want to go back real quick to Annette's comment on their natural born. Like some of them are natural born leaders. Like a perfect example is my little natural born leader that's seven years old. She literally realized when I told her I was going to be on here for two hours, she looked at mom and said, well, we better go somewhere because I know I'm going to be busy doing things. And right. She was, she knew she was going to be, but she's for sure a leader. And I think it, it, um, it is something that's born in us. I think the hardest part for me in all this, and then I'll go to the e-commerce part when it comes, when we're talking men or women, black, white, or any of these things is right. sometimes I just wish we just talk about human, but I understand that we've communicated in a certain way for so long that sometimes we need to address that just so we know specifically what we're referencing. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I love the differences. I love differences in ethnicities. I love differences because I love contrast. Part of what I love about life is I don't see things the way everybody else sees things. Yeah. And <laughs> to some people, they get threatened by that. And, and that doesn't mean they're right or I'm right. It just, I happen to really like differences. But I know from just the way the brain works, we're usually looking for differences to, to look for problems, right? Because the brain just looks for different things. So, um, but moving forward, as far as like, what I think the world should be focusing on right now is just trying to figure out um, it's a balancing act of you focusing on seeing and doing and being more of what you want to be while realizing that other people are going to be doing that. And that's not always going to be the same. And if we yeah. have to be doing the same thing as everybody else, there's going to be just as many challenges is if everybody was doing the same thing. I mean, if everybody was flipping hamburgers, the world's not getting anywhere. If everybody was doing CEO work, the world wouldn't get anywhere. We need different people doing different things. And I think sometimes we're focusing too much on everybody having to be the same. So I, I just say right now, really spend this time in isolation, getting to know yourself. Mm-hmm. Mary, what, uh, what, what is your take, uh, spe specifically as it, because again, you know, Annette and, and you come from a very, you know, 
from from a very specific perspective. So I just, I'm curious what your take is on uh, on what we we what you recommend specifically for you know for women to do during this time. Uh, well, just what Richie said. Um, yeah. For me, when they said self quarantine at your home, stay home. I'm like, that's what I do normally. So <laughs> I work out of my home and. My mom gave me a very big gift when I was like five years old because I'm number seven of nine kids. She goes, I am not here to entertain you. So entertain yourself. And ever since then, when she said it, I was like, okay. And I've been like that my whole life. Mm. And I think we have to step up our curiosity. So it's kind of a kind of weird for me to a paradox in a way because I'm like, you're isolated, so start expanding yourself. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. an excuse. We're on a weird vacation right now. <laughs> and it's not a paid vacation either for most of us. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. And I keep losing money every day in my business. And I do a self-check. Yeah. My mortgage is paid. My refrigerator is full. My kids are healthy. I love what I do. I'm going to start doing more. And mm -hmm. we have the capacity, Annette, let me know if you have a statistic on this. I mean, truly, how much of our potential and capability do we really tap into unless there's something like this that shocks us? I, I don't have the, uh, the, the stats on that, Mary, but I will tell you that we as a population, male or female, do not shift as a rule unless we are forced to shift. Mm -hmm. And that can be an internally driven out of fear. It can be out of a desire to reach potential. For, for many, um, you know, there's a, there's a I do can, can tell you the stats that, that um, from two PhDs that I worked with who did, who were Navy SEALs, and they spent uh, their, their PhD studies trying to understand what drives people and what's different about people that are driven versus those that are not. And the interesting thing they discovered was that 10, only 10% 10 of the population is driven. And, and then they went a little deeper and said, okay, what does that mean? And they actually found a DNA component that actually is different in people that are driven. So, so people, it was fascinating. The, and the book is called Driven. So if you ever want to read it, it's, it's amazing. But the interesting thing about th these guys' work is that, um, it was, it was an eye opener for me because it, it, it came back to what kind of what Rich said that, you know, everybody maybe is not meant to be leaders. Okay. So there is a, there is a segment of the population that's very driven. And when they are driven, they have the, the attitude um, that there's never a finish line. So when they finish something, they're already to the next one and saying, okay, what can I do to learn here? What can I get better at here? But there's 90% of the population that they, they set a goal, maybe, and when they reach that goal, they are, they set back and said, wow, I finally accomplished what I set out and they're totally content. So, so it's interesting. So once you start to understand that, I don't know where you guys fit. I would guess probably all of you are in that 10%, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I know I certainly am. And, and I, and it was a great opener for me for all, not only in terms of the women that I can groom to be tomorrow's leaders, but also getting, being more patient with that 90% of the population and recognizing there's a place for them to play in the scenario that we're in right now 
that brings tremendous value. And, and, and it's okay. Everybody is not going to be that 10% out here driving, leading. Yeah. And, and I yeah. think that's an important thing to recognize about ourselves as well as our society, because it, it, it makes us more patient with people and how they handle things and how they, they yeah. exist. Yeah, definitely, a, definitely more of a sense of, uh, of community. And you can see that, you know, it's, it's very interesting how, and, and uh, maybe it was you, Richie, who me- mentioned this in the last hour, um, but we were talking about how this is the first time, and maybe this was you, Mary, again, I apologize, but one of you had mentioned that this is the first time that you've really seen uh, the politicians on both sides of the aisle really working together, the Democrats and the Republicans and coming together, you know, to, to really address this, this common enemy, right? And so united by the common enemy is often what happens here. And so, you know, I had a, I had a really, um, I don't know if it was a harebrained idea or it's the most brilliant thing in the whole wide world, but knowing me, it's probably somewhere in between those two. Um, but the, the idea that I had, and I just wanted to run this by you, is that um, you know, so much of where we are right now, I think the fear that so many people are facing, especially as you look at, you know, and, and if you read my post and you're on my email list, then you know that I, I had shared how I had really just had this, this sort of panic attack and everything really came to a head, um, uh, you know, about a week ago or so, actually a week to this day. Um, and, uh, and, and just really absorbing a lot of the fear that I was feeling out there. And of course, my own fear and the, the traumas coming up as it related to the dot-com crash and the real estate crash and, you know, all of that. Um, and, and what I realize is that, you know, when, when you look at the people, especially the hourly wage workers, the people who are, who are so, you know, the vendors, as an example, who sell at the ball games, you know, the, the stadiums and so on, the people who sell the, the food and the, you know, and the beer and the, and the whatnot. And, uh, and you look at the hospitality industry as a whole, the hotels that are having to shut down and the bars and the clubs and so on, and the people who work on tips and, you know, and, and just all of those people who are so dependent on the minute by minute, hour by hour wages. And to Rich's point, you know, when you've got the average person with somewhere between $400 and $2,000 in savings and some with, you know, much less than that, it, it, it's really, really scary. And so one of the things that I um, have, been, have been thinking about is like, okay, so what's the biggest fear, right? And the biggest fear for most people is not having food to eat and being kicked out of their homes, right? It's like shelter and sustenance. I mean, those are the two, the two biggest fears. And so one of the ideas that I had in my mind is what would happen, number one, and I know they did a moratorium on evictions, um, here in California, which, you know, which is, which is all well and good. So you can't evict someone from a, from a residence if they don't pay their rent or from a commercial property if they don't pay their rent here in, in California. I don't know if that moratorium has taken hold anywhere else. But, you know, that's, that's, that's all well and good. But nevertheless, the landlord's probably going to be like, okay, great. Well, you missed, you know, April's payment. You still need to make it. You missed May's payment. You still need to make it, et cetera and getting caught back up is going to be, I think, really, really difficult. And so what, what I was thinking is, what if we, we had a shift to a society? And I know this is a harebrained idea, perhaps, but what if we shift to a society where there just was no exchange of, of money? Like, for example, the, so, so let's just say all the banks stopped collecting on the notes. 
So the banks just said, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to collect on, on the notes just as an example. And that would take the pressure off of, okay, well, I owe for my mortgage, I owe for my car, et cetera. So that, that pressure, that relief valve is, is turned, right? So I'm not going to collect on, on those notes. Number one, number two, if you were in business and you do whatever it is that you do, you simply provide for people who come in. So if you're a grocery store and people need groceries, they come in, they, they get their groceries and, and they leave. If you're an auto mechanic, people have an issue with a car, they bring in their car, they get it fixed, they leave. The, com, you know, the company that has the spark plugs and whatnot, you need spark plugs, here you go. And like, what, I know it's so harebrained, but if we took that out of the equation, would people still have the degree of fear that they have? You know what I mean? And I know that's just like way out of, but I was thinking, and Richie, I'm sure you have an opinion on this, man, but <laughs> what, if, what if we took that yeah. out? It's, out of the I, I, get the, I get the point, right? So I, of the two, I think it's more towards harebrained. I'm just going to call you out on it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I, I get the point, right? This kind of comes back to the socialist capitalist thing. And if there was a happy medium, right? And, and I would say, if people, if they knew they were going to be clothed, they were going, knew they were going to eat, and they knew they were going to be housed, it probably wouldn't be as much fear. The question, now I'm going to bring in the capitalistic part, the question as to how fancy your clothes are, how fancy your food is, and how high your right. house is up the hill, now that comes where the work comes in. But, you know, I mean, because I, I know where you were going, you're really just saying there's a lot of fear going on. But if people knew their house was going to be taken care of and knew they were going to have food, there'd be a lot of people like, cool, not going to work. You know what I mean? Like they wouldn't even care. And I wonder to, to your point and why I said it's a little towards, towards harebrained is I think is. if people didn't have to do something to move themselves forward in some way, whatever that is, learning more, their physical body, uh, connection with other people, if they didn't have to do some form of effort to to bring out a greater good, I think back to the percentage points, I think that 90% or whatever Annette was talking to there, was it 90%? Like 90%, yeah. A lot of people just wouldn't do shit. They just wouldn't show up if they knew. So I think it's gotta yeah, be somewhere in I don't know. if we went that way. But, but I'll, yeah. I'll speak to that a second, Steve. Yeah. You know, if you go, what is it? Wasn't it Maslow that, that determined what the, the basic things that people need to feel safe? Hierarchy of needs, sure. Yeah, Maslow. right. Hierarchy of needs. So theoretically, if if people have those hierarchy of needs met, then the fear doesn't overcome them. And the problem, I think, is we have a society right now that has a tremendous number of people that do not have the hierarchy of needs being met right now. Right. Yeah. And so, and so your point being, well, what if we can meet those, at least for the short term, would that calm down the total chaos and fear? Certainly. But then to, to Rich's part, what, what does, could you maintain that? Or would people, the 90% of the population fall into this comfort zone, knowing that once you meet those needs, unless you're driven, there's probably not a push for you to go beyond that. It's an, yeah. interesting, it's an inter it interesting thought. And I'm not, see, and I'm not sure, right, Mary, you're muted, but, um, but, but I'm not sure because I think that's really not, I think they were really taking away the, the, the credit where credit is due for the average person. I think it would actually empower them 
to, to then take money out of the equation because so many people do things simply for the money. And, and, and when you ask people, you know, that question around career, it's like, what would you do if, if money was taken out of the equation? If you knew you couldn't fail, right? Like, what would you really want to be doing? And it just feels to me like if so many people are afraid to do whatever that is because of the financial side of the equation, that you may find folks just really thriving as opposed to resting on their laurels. Because I do think, and, and I, I'd have to read Driven, but I, 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 mm, I just, I can't believe that we would be in a position where nine out of 10 people wouldn't tap into as much of this life as they possibly could, as opposed to one out of 10. But Mary, do you have any thoughts around that? Because I know you unmuted yourself over there. Yeah, I did. Anyway, you're, <laughs> you're lucky I was muted because I was like, the fighting words. Um, <laughs> I That's did. <laughs> the, the nine people out of 10, like, I know this is weird, but I am, when I go to the bank, I'm like, oh my gosh, how can they just sit in a bank and be a teller for years? Because I can't sit still. So I'm always moving and doing it. That would be torture for you, wouldn't it? It would be torture. However, just because they're not profiting, they might be an excellent cook. They might be an excellent seamstress. Like my friend, his wife is... Her parents from Philippines, she is an outrageous seamstress. Like she makes her entire wardrobe. Now, does that mean she falls in because she doesn't work or isn't driven to get that big paycheck? So we do have something. Mm-hmm. I just like to monetize in multiple categories. So yes, I'm that 10% for sure. Yeah. But it makes me happy. Well, and let's speak to that second, Mary. So so when so we automatically assume that if we're at the 10%, you know, the, the kind of way we put that puzzle together, we said, well, the 90% must be lazy if they aren't having to, you know. So we have to be a little careful for that. And your point is, well, take it. Because that 90% doesn't mean, now, obviously, if that 90%, there is a portion that is lazy. We see that. Uh, you know, that's just statistically the way it's going to be. They're on the out. But I don't think they are the center of the curve. I think they are the outliers. And, and we as a society to Steve's point, we cling on to those outliers and say, well, if you, if you gave people stuff, everybody's going to be lazy. They're going to sit on the couch and eat bonbons and never work. Well, I don't think that's true at all. I mean, I grew up in a family that, that was very humble. You know, my father was a farmer. My mother was a waitress. My father didn't go beyond eighth grade. And, and they, I don't think that would have, if you gave them stuff, that wouldn't have changed their work ethic. They still went out. They still would have strived for, they weren't driven like I was, but they were certainly had, they had a code they lived by. Mm-hmm. Does that and make sense? Of, it does. And a lot of the people who, you know, let's be honest, a lot of people who sit, Mary, behind the bank wall and, and are the tellers and so on, a lot of them are in those jobs and in those positions because they don't feel as though there are any other options. And even in some cases, they've been there for so long that now they've climbed whatever that, however short or tall that totem pole is, they have their benefits, right? I mean, let's take insurance out of the equation. How many people are sitting in jobs right now because they are getting benefits and they can't, like we're paying for, we're paying for insurance for our family. It is $1,700 a month. 
and we're not on, you know, and we're not on the best plan, right? So, I mean, how many people are sitting in those jobs because they have no other alternatives? Men, women, it doesn't matter. And if we freed them up from that, and you talk about creating, you know, leaders and that is, as, you know, as you do in the work that you do, I, I, I wonder how many more leaders, and I know there's some questions going on. And by the way, if you guys want to come into this conversation, uh, you know, just click on the, the link there and come in and we'll be able to bring in some more people. So if you're on Facebook Live right now with us, you'll just click on the link, we'll be able to bring some more people in. Um, you know, and again, is this harebrained? Is it far-fetched? Perhaps, but at the same token, I, and Annette, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I just feel like there are leaders within so many people who have just not had a, had their leadership cultivated. Oh, I agree with that 100%. And I see that, Steve. I'll give you an example. One of my people that came to the academy, and she's been to it three different times, okay? So, because the, the academy continues to grow in content, and she is coming to continue to grow. But she is a woman, doesn't have a high school education. She uh, grew up in Puerto Rico. She uh, was in a marriage that was abused. Uh, so she left the man and she ended up raising her four children by herself in New Jersey. Okay. So you kind of get the scenario. All right. So she was in a job uh, for a company where she was, uh, the top guy was very abusive to verbally abusive, um, reminded her how that she didn't have an education, so on and so forth. When she came into the academy and started knowing how the game was played, she now sits in the general manager's position of that company. And so there was a perfect example of a woman that could, had the ability to lead and wanted to, but didn't know how to position herself, thought that if she called, she didn't have education, she wasn't going to be, you know, all the things that we put into our heads that, that we think if we don't have those pieces, we can't be strong leaders. And she has stepped up and is leading this company, a multi-million dollar company. It's got 40 some employees. And she is, I mean, it, it's been amazing to watch the transformation. So there's a perfect example of yeah. how many more people like this woman are out there that they, they just had somebody take an interest in them and show them the way and give them the confidence that they could step into those roles. Yeah. Yeah. Red on the chat saying, uh, she actually likes my idea. You know, let's, go back, <laughs> let's go back to bartering. It's what worked in the past. And what, when you remind us that we really must depend on one another and that we're all in this together. You know, it's like if you think about it in terms of the farmers, you know, the farmers go and they, and they grow and they, and they give their food and they go to the grocery store, right? And you come and you go to the grocery store and you get what you need. I, I think the assumption is that, you know, to, to that point that those who can just simply take will take more than they need. And I actually believe the opposite. I think that we take more than we need when we are in a place of fear, as we're seeing right now, as opposed to being in a, in a, in a, in a, in a place of abundance. And if we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a world of abundance, I think we'll actually take less than we believe others will take because they'll take what they need as opposed to what the outside forces seem to think that people will want. So it's, um, it's just, it's a really interesting conversation. I don't plan on, uh, you know, on coming to the, to the bottom and, and solving it here. But, you know, again, just really wanted to open this up for, for conversation, uh, again, here with the community on a very special episode here of Reinvention Radio, doing it as a, as a town hall. Rich or Mary, anything uh, else to add? Any other questions for Annette before we let her jump? 
No, I thought it was a terrific conversation. Um, Annette, you're very intriguing and interesting. Very cool. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate that. I'd love to have some conversation off, offline about with you. I think we can have some interesting dialogue. Yeah, that would we be great. We can challenge each other on some things. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I'll, I do have one thing before, and I'll, I'll make this comment, and then Rich, when you give your two cents in, I'd love for you to speak to this. Um, and what you just said and what the, the, came into the chat box, Steve, go back to bartering, it worked in the past, this kind of thing. The, the interesting thing that we challenge, that is a challenge in that scenario, is, is this testosterone component of men that drives them to, in a, a way that they start as very young children, learning how to do a, play a one-upsmanship game. Mm. And, and that happens very early in childhood. And there's many studies that reflect that. So it's interesting there personally, I think that's where if the woman leadership could come in because women are very good at that bartering and exchanging things and being okay with all that. If we could get more women leaders in to balance that power, then I think it would be a very healthy situation for, for our country and for the world. That's my mm -hmm. final two cents. No, awesome. Thank you for that, Richie. Yeah, so first I want to go back and thank you for your input earlier on, and I look forward to the work you're doing. I actually tried to reach out on LinkedIn there too. So I'll connect with you also because I, as a, as a father of a seven-year-old daughter, I'm super intrigued by all this. And to your point of knowing the rules, it's been one of the number one things that I've seen be the difference in when she feels confident or not. Um, and I could go down a bunch of rabbit holes there, but I'll just leave it. When you, when, you don't, when you don't know the rules of the game, it's hard to get excited about the game. You don't even want to get in and play. You don't even want to take a chance. So um, everyone during this time really um, opening up and realizing that other people do certain things better, kind of back to this bartering thing. But I think how it changed this direction towards money is – I'm going to go far extreme. You only need so many canoes. So if I make canoes and, you know, everyone gets a canoe, then I'm kind of screwed out of being able to barter. Like, unless people just want to keep giving me stuff, everyone's got their canoe already. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm no, like, I don't know what you mean. I'm never going to make enough canoes. Tell me, I'm going to call you out right now. Are you going to start trading other people for coaching? For your yes. coaching? Like, yes. Is if that all you, you just want to trade coaching for coaching? Because if you if don't need is, excess money, then what you got, I'll take yours if you don't want, if you don't want it. <laughs> I'll take it. We'll put our hands out, Rich. So I, I'll I'm have to sign the agreement. As long as we all sign the agreement, then yes. <laughs> I have to sign the agreement. Everybody has to play by – listen, he, what he's saying, Rich, is everybody has to play by the same rules. <laughs> no, no, I know. I know. I mean, if, I, yeah. if I don't mess with Steve a little bit, it, we, we didn't uh, do our show. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. So, Annette, if, um, if people want more information about you, then we're going to let you jump and we'll continue the conversation here, but we're going to let you jump here. But if people want more information uh, about you, where should they go? They should go to uh, www.annettecomer.com. It's spelled A-N-N-E-T-T-E-C-O-M-E-R.com. And Steve, at, at the bottom of the first page they land on, there's a place where they can send me an email. And if, if any of this has intrigued your audience, if they send me an email and say, hey, send me your playbook, I will send them uh, a, a, a document that I've put together that's my personal playbook 
of the rules that I have learned through my experiences that might get them on the, at least give them a tip in the right direction and uh, give them something to think about. Yeah, no, that's awesome. All right, Annette, we're going to let you jump. Thank you. And we'll continue the conversation here on reinvention radio. Thank you guys. Alrighty. Mary Rich, it's great meeting you. Yeah, Likewise. Bye everyone. Bye. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to reinvention radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. 